Trinity School of Natural Health can help you be part of the fast-growing health and wellness industry. With an education that empowers communities, Trinity grads can change lives by applying natural health principles and techniques in holistic practices or stores selling nourishing health products. Offering 19 online programs that fit your busy schedule, you'll get training to help turn your passion into a career. Enroll today at trinityschool.org. That's trinityschool.org. When you buy Kroger brand products, you feel like you're winning. That's because they offer proven quality at lower than low prices. In fact, we guarantee that you and your family will love how Kroger brand products taste. Or you get your money back. So next time you're shopping for the family, look for delicious Kroger brand products. Because they'll make you all feel like you're winning. Shop now, in-store, or online. Kroger. Fresh for everyone. I'm so excited to tell you JCPenney and country music singer-songwriter Walker Hayes are partnering together on a new limited-time men's collection for The Everyday Guy. What I love about Walker Hayes is his laid-back nature. He's a family man and being a country megastar while also having seven kids. You know he likes to keep his style cool and casual. This new collection is perfect for the guy living the t-shirt life or someone wanting some fresh options that feel just as good. It's easy to wear, affordable styles that celebrate the ultimate family man, along with the quality, durability, and sensibility dads appreciate. Available online Saturday, May 4th at jcp.com and in-store Thursday, May 16th. Just in time for Father's Day. Limited time only. JCPenney, make it count. My hope is that by the end of this evening, you will have a deeper understanding of what it means to say that one is a Hamiltonian or a Jeffersonian in terms of their political ideology and their worldviews. The Science of Happiness. Appreciating Modern Painting. Dilemmas of Modern Medicine. Abraham Lincoln and the Civil War. The History of Jazz. The Artistic Genius of Michelangelo. When Intuition Fails. Turning Points that Changed American History. The Psychology of Religion. The Genius of Mozart. The Future of Humans. One Day University. The most acclaimed and popular professors from top colleges, their best lectures, fascinating conversations. Hi, I'm Richard Davies. Let's learn. You understand and appreciate that there's really only one way that I can possibly begin this lecture. This is the story of two founding brothers. Not really brothers, they had different fathers and mothers filled with hate, they called each other names. George Washington thought they were both insane. (laughs) Hamilton was a bastard, Jefferson was gentry. If TJ had his way, he would have barred Hamilton's entry. But immigrant Alex had something to prove. He wanted to move America in a particular groove. Jefferson had his doubts, the two of them fought. Here comes the story of the warfare they wrought. My name is uh, Lou Major. I'm a Distinguished Thank Professor you. of American Studies and History at Rutgers University. Thank you. It was great. You know, I tried it out on my wife. She said, I don't remember that from the play. The title is Hamilton versus Jefferson, The Rivalry That Shaped America. I love the way your lecture begins with this wonderful reference to the musical Hamilton. Why is that important in our current context? As a historian, I welcome anything that gets people interested in American history. And what has been fabulous about Hamilton, besides how great the play is and how creative and how inventive, is it suddenly has people asking questions. Who were these guys? 
What did they believe in? What's the real story? And it's important to note that. It's a play. It's not a documentary. I don't think today you can give a lecture on Hamilton and Jefferson without acknowledging the significance of the play and the interest in Hamilton. And so I use that in a way at the beginning of the lecture to sort of draw the audience in, but also to invite them to understand that what I'm about to explain is in some ways part of, but different from, the experience of seeing the player listening to the soundtrack. The rivalry between Jefferson and Hamilton was about two very different visions of government. Exactly. They fundamentally disagreed over the role of government, the power of the federal government, the extent to which government should be centralized or should be left to the states and to the individuals. And a lot of the policy issues over which they fought really came down to differing opinions about the role of government. Well, let's take Hamilton first. He wanted a strong federal government and also powers for the federal government that were not enumerated in the Constitution. Well, let's start first with the Constitution because he's one of the pivotal figures for the creation of the Constitution in the summer of 1787. So Hamilton is among the first to recognize that the Articles of Confederation were not working. Articles of Confederation, that was the document agreed to when? The Articles of Confederation are the first system of government under which the United States operated, indeed, even during the, the Revolutionary War, and carried over beyond the Revolutionary War into the early 1780s. But in post-revolutionary America, with inflation, with needs to raise money, with various other questions that were coming up, they realized that this form of government was so loose, so weak. It was a confederation. It was a, a general agreement among the 13 states but they couldn't get anything done. This financial economic crisis that afflicts of the states in the immediate years after the revolution, 1782, 1783, 1784, Hamilton is among a group of people who begin to realize that perhaps something needs to be done. Is Jefferson the big ideas guy and Hamilton more the pragmatist? I think that's a nice distinction. Uh, how I think of it is I think of Jefferson as an idealist, Hamilton is a realist. You have to understand in Jefferson, we have the consummate enlightenment figure. Many of you have probably heard this story, but it's always worth retelling. In 1962, John F. Kennedy had all of the Nobel Prize winners in the Western world to the White House for dinner. And he stands up and he says, there is more genius and talent assembled in this room tonight, except when Thomas Jefferson dined alone. <laughs> that was Jefferson. The man was remarkable. He was a polymath. He was a scientist. He was a naturalist, a philosopher, an inventor. You cannot come up with a field that he didn't pursue. He learned Latin, he learned Greek, he learned French. He had trouble with German, by the way. It's the only language that he had trouble with. Music, he loved music. He played the violin, apparently terribly. John Adams said he couldn't stand listening to Jefferson <laughs> play the violin. He is the embodiment of the Enlightenment. He is the sort of philosopher. He spends his whole life redesigning Monticello. There's not a single piece of the, of the universe that didn't interest this guy and that he didn't write about. Hamilton, not so much. 
Hamilton is much more the practical politician. Uh, he understands that not so much ideas but interests motivate people, and that if we can harness those interests, perhaps then we can create a sort of productive society. What was Jefferson most worried about over Hamilton's view of government and needing these additional powers? Like anything, there's a spectrum. Jefferson, Madison, the party that will become the Democratic Republicans are worried about centralized authority of any kind. They worry about their liberties being taken away. For them, localism is what should govern. As long as you can keep government close, as long as you can keep an eye on it, as long as there's no tendencies towards tyranny, we're okay. The problem with Hamilton is he not only favored a strong central government, on the spectrum of people who favored a strong central government, he tended toward the more extreme side. And over time, some people saw him as becoming a little bit crazed with power, wanting to be more and more authoritarian, thinking that perhaps the United States needed a king-like structure, perhaps believing in hereditary government. Uh, even the Federalists on his side, including John Adams, John Adams and Hamilton also dislike each other. Uh, they disagree fundamentally over this question of power. So we have Jefferson in part to thank for the Bill of Rights in this debate over the Constitution one of the reasons why we get a Bill of Rights is because Jefferson and Madison basically say, okay, fine, if we're going to give the government more power, what are we going to do to assure the fact that the government will not rob us of our rights? At root, that's what the debate is about. You talk about how the founding fathers were actually suspicious of democracy. That's right. That's right. In the same way that too much power in the hands of a single individual becomes tyrannical, too much power in the hands of the people becomes anarchy. I think Hamilton is very early on someone who understands the importance of the nation. The concept of the nation is going to take a long time to develop. But Hamilton, he had a vision of a nation. Jefferson, it's the individual, right? It's individualism. Uh, it's, it's freedom. It's, it's the word democracy is still an epithet in the 18th century. This comes as a news to a lot of people. Right? None of them like the word democracy. The problem with democracy is it put too much power in the hands of the people who ultimately can't be trusted. Listen to this. I walk around with random Federalist papers. And I'm not making any comment whatsoever about current events. I'm disclaiming right now that this has anything to do with that. I just want you to understand the anxiety that the Founding Fathers had about the people. He said, we know from experience that the people sometimes err. And it is a wonder that they so seldom err as they do, beset as they continually are by the wiles of parasites and sycophants, by the snares of the ambitious, the avaricious, and the desperate, by the artifices of men who possess their confidence more than they deserve it, and of those who seek to possess rather than to deserve it. That's Hamilton, Federalist number 71. But, so that's the other side of it, right? You know, at the end of his life, Hamilton is going to say, democracy is our real disease. All right, I mean, that's fine. But for Jefferson, 
Jefferson's famous saying is that government is best which governs least. Now, we've talked about Hamilton being ahead of his time in terms of understanding the important role of finance and economics. But it sounds like Jefferson was also ahead of his time in appreciating the importance of the role of the individual and the wisdom of the collected populace, the people. I make this argument that I think is right, that that Jefferson is sort of optimistic, but he's backward-looking. He wants to preserve things the way they are in a certain fundamental sense. Hamilton, the realist, is much more pessimistic, but he's forward-looking. He really sees the direction in which American society is going, and he helps to lead it there. The pessimism of Hamilton, this, this, this sense that people are motivated by self-interest. They're not going to deny their self-interest for the good of the whole. And so therefore, once we recognize that, we can harness that. We can harness the power of people's self-interest. Now, this is all classical liberalism, and, and Hamilton's not alone in thinking of this. Adam Smith at this time publishes The Wealth of Nations. This is all laissez-faire economics. Let people basically do their thing, and in the end, it will redound to the benefit of the society and the economy. Jefferson doesn't want to unleash necessarily that kind of individual self-interest. He still believes in this older, well, small-r Republican sense that people have to be moral, they have to be virtuous, they have to be temperate and industrious, they have to deny their self-interest for the good of the community, and only if the people move forward together as a whole can society prosper. There's a fundamental tension there between the two of them on that question. Yeah. Um, It is a rivalry that's personal, isn't it? Deeply personal. And that's the thing that a lot of people don't fully understand or appreciate is that we venerate the founding fathers, but they were deeply opposed on a number of issues. And those opposition became not only political, but at times violent. How do we know that the profound differences were not just over matters of theory, government? Uh, it's a great question. And the reason why we know is we're fortunate enough that the two of them could not help but write lengthy letters to anyone who would listen in which they complained bitterly and denounced one another. And and they wrote some of those letters to their boss. They wrote to George Washington. People may not realize they served in the cabinet together, right? Hamilton's secretary of the treasury. Jefferson is secretary of state. So imagine these meetings with the president. And Washington, while he's sort of a federalist, he stands above and beyond politics. So here's Jefferson's letter to George Washington. You see, letter to George Washington, Thomas Jefferson, September 9th, 1793. Ready for this? Get ready for this. He's just warming up. This entire letter is complaining about Alexander Hamilton. Look at this. There are no paragraphs. He is just (laughs) blistering. Lou, you're a historian, but also in this context, a performer. Poor George Washington. I mean, all the guy wants to do is like retire and go back, you know, to Mount Vernon. Well, very few people expect a distinguished professor in suit and tie to come out and begin by rapping. Uh, But I think entertainment 
should be part of and is part of, of education. I think that's part of why I enjoy lecturing for One Day University. It's an opportunity not only to present information, but present it with passion, with engagement, uh, to present it in a way so that people really come to understand more than just the material that's being delivered. Trinity School of Natural Health can help you be part of the fast-growing health and wellness industry. With an education that empowers communities, Trinity grads can change lives by applying natural health principles and techniques in holistic practices or stores selling nourishing health products. Offering 19 online programs that fit your busy schedule, you'll get training to help turn your passion into a career. Enroll today at trinityschool.org. That's trinityschool.org. Are you tired of your scented cleaning products smelling and cleaning like meh? Then it's time for an upgrade with the power of Clorox Sentiva. With an uplifting scent that smells like coconut, Clorox Sentiva gives you powerful clean like Clorox, but a feeling like <sighs> being transported to a tropical island retreat. Imagine putting your phone on Do Not Disturb, tuning out all the constant, just the feeling of warm sand in between your toes and a fruity drink in your hand. The ones with the little umbrella. Refresh your home to feel like an all-inclusive vacation by getting Clorox Sentiva. Also available in grapefruit and lavender scents at a nearby retail store. The one-day university crowd. They're amazing. Uh, uh, yeah. What do you get from doing these lectures? I love doing it. Uh, it the, first of all, there's a tremendous energy. And... While it's wonderful to teach undergraduates, we all know that undergraduates have a lot of other things going on, and they're not necessarily at the point where they fully appreciate what it is that you might be giving to them. The people who come to One Day University are there to learn. They understand what education means. They have a passion for deepening their knowledge of various events. And it's delightful to hear people say to me, oh, I wish I had you when I was a junior or sophomore in college. And I remind them that they're romanticizing their college years, but it's delightful to hear it. Uh, because the fact is, at different times in our lives, we're ready for something else to learn, uh, to take in, to study, to move us along. And in that sense, we're all lifelong learners. We venerate both of these men. But what about their dark sides? Sure, absolutely. I mean, we can't talk about Jefferson, of course, without talking about Jefferson and slavery. Uh, it's the great enigma, the great paradox. Uh, it troubles generation after generation, and, and well, it should. You know, How can the man who wrote the line, all men are created equal, not emancipate his own slaves? Uh, he understood that slavery was wrong intellectually, and this goes back to the whole idea of Jefferson as ideologue, but he can't ever really get himself to the point of freeing his slaves, though he lives long enough to predict that slavery is the institution that's going to, in some fundamental way, undo America. And Hamilton, for his side, is governed by uh, personal passions. Uh, he has an extramarital affair that he ends up talking about publicly in all kinds of ways. His opponents cannot believe their good luck that Hamilton would actually acknowledge this in the 1790s. And his ambition is so great that some people see him as tending toward becoming the next Napoleon. So there are these darker sides. Um, 
deeper passions behind both men. Uh, I'm not sure you could have the one necessarily without the other, but it's important to see them, I think, in their whole and their totality. Is Hamilton overrated today because he's become something of a historical rock star as a result of the extraordinary success of this musical? Hamilton the musical is not overrated. Hamilton the man, is, is he's, he's having his moment. And I think that that's great. I think every so often we recover really important figures from the past and reassess them. It's not surprising that in this moment of Wall Street and capital and development and progress, that suddenly, instead of Jefferson and Adams in Washington, Hamilton has been recovered. The other really important point that the play makes that really helps us to understand what is it about historical memories? Why do we venerate and remember some figures and not others? Of course, part of the answer for Hamilton is very easy. He's killed by Aaron Burr very early on. One of the things that happens about history is the survivors get to write it. And Adams and Jefferson live until 1826. They've got 22 years to tell the story of the revolution. And they begin this amazing correspondence with one another. Again, I know I've given you a few things to read tonight. Another thing to look at is the Adams-Jefferson correspondence in retirement. Because these two hated each other, not the way not the way Hamilton and Jefferson hated each other. I mean, but they had violent political disagreements. Uh, Jefferson said of Adams that his presidency was a reign of witches. So uh, there was some nastiness there, but they heal those wounds. And between 1813 and 1826, they have this amazing correspondence in which they reflect upon all subjects, including Hamilton. And it gives them an opportunity to write Hamilton out of the story. And they do. And I think that's part of what happened. That's part of why the play has been so successful. It's kind of like suddenly everybody woke up and said, well, wait a minute. There's this other titanic figure there. What did he do? And so, um, and that's great because he is a titanic figure in, in all kinds of important ways. But like all of them, a complicated figure filled with paradoxes, filled with tensions, a figure who changes over time. So uh, I don't think Hamilton is overrated. I do think because of the play, there's a certain romanticization, a certain idealization that goes on. And that's what's so nice about setting him in tension with Jefferson, because you get to see them not as single individuals to venerate, but as, as real-life humans who are battling one another. How does this rivalry influence today's politics? I think we have a tendency to idealize or romanticize the politics of the Founding Fathers, and I would caution against that. Uh, politics is always filled with conflict. It's filled with difference. It's filled with contest. There's a line that one can trace. Now, at some times, is it more intense, more rancorous than at other times? Sure, absolutely. But we have to be careful not to believe that the founding fathers were just brilliant men engaged in the politics of trying to create this new nation. They were, but they were human. They had passions. They had personal opinions. Uh, power was always at stake, and they weren't afraid to use it against one another. 
I'm Richard Davies. Thanks for listening. Sign up on our website, OneDayU.com, to become a member and access over 600 full-length video lectures from the world's finest professors. Trinity School of Natural Health can help you be part of the fast-growing health and wellness industry. With an education that empowers communities, Trinity grads can change lives by applying natural health principles and techniques in holistic practices or stores selling nourishing health products. Offering 19 online programs that fit your busy schedule, you'll get training to help turn your passion into a career. Enroll today at trinityschool.org. That's trinityschool.org. There are some things that are too good to keep a secret. Like how your Amex Platinum card helps you have the perfect trip. I'd like to check into the Centurion Lounge. Or how it seems like you always get those hard-to-snag tables. Ooh, yum. And how you get the most out of select can't-miss events. With access to the Centurion Lounge, Resi Priority Notified, and Amex card member benefits at select events, you'll have to share. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. You know that feeling when you walk into your home, take a deep breath, and feel new? Well, that's what it's like to use Clorox Sentiva. Because Clorox Sentiva smells like coconut, cleans like Clorox, and feels like energy. It'll elevate any cleaning routine to not just clean, but also make every room smell like a tropical coconut getaway. Discover how Clorox Sentiva's powerful clean and refreshing scents can transform your space. Get yours in coconut or other fabulous scents at a nearby retail store.